Well, good morning, everybody. We've been having this conversation all month about loving one another, um, the realities of loving one another in a culture that likes to talk about being loved, but not necessarily like what's the responsibility in loving one another. And uh, we've been talking about how we stand out. As followers of Jesus, how do we stand out? Because, um, you know, as we talk about it, it's the one thing when Jesus talked about what Christians should be known for, what his followers should be known for, this one thing. He said, above all else, above everything else that you could be known for, this one thing is what proves to everyone else who is not yet a follower of Jesus that you are a follower of Jesus. And that one thing, according to Jesus, well, he says it this way. John 13, 34 and 35, he says, So now I am giving you a new commandment to love each other. To love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So Jesus is saying, listen, I have a new commandment for you to love each other just the way I loved you. That's how you should love each other. And that love should be so different. It should be It should be so amazing. It should be so real that when other people look at it, they go, that's something that can't be just natural. It can't just be something that's manufactured. It's it's not something that I've experienced before, and they should respond to it. And that's what Jesus was saying. Now, lots of Jesus' followers wrote a lot of the New Testament afterwards, a lot of the books that we call now the Christian Bible. And one of them was James. And, And when they write these things, for like, there's like 59 other instances of these words, one another in there, that when you look at them, you can tell that they were expansions on what it doesn't mean to love one another. And today we're going to look at one um, from the book of James, his letter, um, to say, listen, if you want to love one another, you want to do this new commandment that Jesus has given us, then what you need to do is pray for one another. In fact, James goes so far to say that among all your responses, when someone expresses a need to you, when someone comes and communicate something to you when you see someone and you'd be like, there's something going on there, the first response, the default response that you should have, the first thing that you should do is to pray, is to pray for them. Now, I think the reality is that for most of us, that's a big change for us. I mean, it's a big change for us to go, my first response is to be pray. I mean, now, I mean, I know that, like, if you've gone to church all your life and you've lived in church, like, you know that that's one of the answers that you learn to give in Sunday school. Like, the answer is either Jesus, pray, or Bible, right? Like, that's got to be one of the answers to whatever question you're asking. And yet, what James is saying here is that when we get honest about our lives and our responses, that we're, he's saying, I want you to take a look at all of that and say, is your first response prayer? Is it your default response. And so that's what we're going to actually talk about this morning. If you want to get out your outline, you'll find it in the, this thing says a scoop on it. This morning inside, there's an outline with scripture. You can follow along as we talk about this question. What if we set our default to prayer? What if your default was to pray for someone else? Here's the thing. It's not always our default. So, and, and, and let me prove it to you. The last time, whatever this, I want you to think about a problem that you had in your life. That something came up and you're like, man, and, and not like, maybe, maybe it's not an overwhelming problem. Maybe it's, I lost my car keys. Maybe it was, I don't know how to pay for that. Maybe it was, I don't know what to do about my friend who said that. Maybe whatever that need was in your life, I want you to think about what was your first response. Was it to Google it? Like, 
Let me Google and see what the answer is. Was it to go out on Facebook and ask for advice? Say, man, I, I need this advice. Was it to ask someone else, like, hey, what do I do about this situation? I, don't, I feel stuck and I don't know what to do. What was your first default response to that situation? We all have a default. And, and some of you might be like, you know, you're, you're sitting there this morning, you grew up in church, you're like, but, but doesn't the Bible say God helps those who help themselves? Like, we can't just pray about it, we've got to do something about it, right? So doesn't the Bible say that? Why don't you tell me where it says that at? You have a reference for it? Because my guess is you don't, because it's not in there. Like, there is, an, there is an essence, sure, of we have to collaborate in God. We can't just sit back and be like, God, I hope that you do everything for me. Could you get me a cup of coffee? And uh, I could use a steak, you know? I mean, that, I mean, our spiritual life and our reality doesn't exist that way. Like, we have to cooperate with God. It requires something of us. And yet, we are fiercely independent. We try to do so much ourselves and work on so much ourselves. And so, let me ask you, like, as you think about your default, what is it? Is it, is it fixing? Is, are you a fixer? You know, you're the kind of person that says, like, man, I, I got this. I will, man, if I, if I face a problem, I don't, I don't need to bother God with it. I know he's busy keeping the universe together, so I'm just going to handle it. I'm going to take care of it. Or maybe, maybe you're a warrior. You know, I grew up with my mom when, she, when I was in college. Um, this was back before cell phones, so we had a, a phone in the room, and we had to set a time where I would answer the phone, right? Because she knew I wouldn't call her any other time if I wasn't. So she made me commit to, like, if you want your tuition money from us, you will answer the phone at 1.30 p.m. on Sunday, right? And so I'd answer the phone, and she would, she'd ask me lots of questions. And after a while, I kind of got the gig, like, Mom, is this like your worry list, like all the things you need to worry about for the week? Which, which, to my mom's credit, she would actually convert to prayer. Like, these are things that she would pray for me over. But, you know, she's like, well, what about this? How's that going to go? What's your default? Is it a worrier? Like, do you default to worry when something comes up? Like, oh, man, what's going to happen there? I don't know what to do with it. Or maybe it's avoidance. You're just the person who's like, let me go bear. I got this problem, and I don't want to think about it, so... I'm just going to shove it back down inside of me and act like it doesn't exist or, or I'm going to run from it. I'm just going to avoid it. You know, I got this financial problem, but I don't, instead of dealing with it, I'm just going to keep spending and, and just ignore it. Maybe it'll just go away. Some of us, maybe you default to sadness. You know, you, you get into problems in your life and you're just like, you're like, you're like on Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore. Right? Just like, well, it's another rainy day today, you know? And you, but, you know, if you're honest with yourself, you find yourself in victim mode. You find yourself discouraged. You're, you're always believing, like, no one's coming to my aid. I'm on my own again. What's your default, really? Because what if there was a different way? What if there was a more powerful way to live, a way that could change your life and change others' lives? And that's what we're talking about when we really explore what James is asking here is, is what if your default was prayer? And, and really primarily, what if your default was, I am going to invite God into my problems. I'm going to invite God into your problems. I'm going, to, I'm going to, instead of solving it on my own, instead of taking your problems or taking my problems and solving them on my own, instead of worrying about them or fixing them or burying my head or avoiding them, like, I'm going to take them to God. I'm going to say, God, 
will you come into this set of problems? Will you come into this situation? Will you use all of your love and your power and your might in this situation? What if when things come up in our lives or others' lives, what if we just pray? And not just mean like we say a prayer like casually, but like what if we really said, I really want to bring this before God in a way that could change, change the situation. I want you to think, how many, how many situations in your life, how many places in your life could you use help? How many places in your family life could you use God's intervention? How many places at, in your work or at school or with your friends or financially or whatever the situation is, how many of those could you call out to God and say, God, I need you in this situation? When a friend calls you and says, hey, I've got this problem, are you going to just give them advice? Or are you going to do probably the most loving thing you could possibly do and say, before we talk about any more of this, can we just stop for a second and say, God, and invite God into the situation? Can we just stop and can I pray and say, Let's just invite God to really give us a perspective on this problem, to do what only he can do, to give us an understanding of that. What, what happens when you're sick? Like, here's a, this is a good one, right? This is James going to talk about this. Like, what happens when you're sick? Like, let me, let, me, let me guess, right? When you're sick, what do you do? What's your first response? When you're sick and you've been sick for a little while, what's your first response? You call somebody. Who is it? The doctor. Now, if you pray, my guess is you're like me, you're praying, God, please let them make an appointment. Like, please let there be an appointment available in the next few hours that I can get there, right? Instead of having your first response be prayer, be saying, God, can I get there? I think too often in our lives, we don't assume that God wants to help us. We don't assume that he will help us. So when I looked at James and I thought about this this passage we're going to look at out in James 5 this morning, I thought, what convinced James that this is the way to go? What convinced James that the default should be prayer? So I just read his entire letter, the entire thing that he wrote. And I said, I just looked for it. I just went, what, what does this tell me about who James is and, and, and what he believes about who God is? So James chapter 1, this is what I find. I found James talking about wisdom and saying that God is generous and that he's gentle. Uh, well, there's something that I didn't believe about God growing up. But James is convinced of it, that he's generous and he's gentle. But in James chapter 2, James says God is merciful and he wants, he wants to permeate every place of our faith. Our faith should never be lived out without his mercy involved in it. I went, wow. I lived a lot of my life thinking that God just spun me off into it and didn't really care about me. That's not what James believes. He's convinced otherwise. James 3, he describes God's wisdom as peaceful and merciful and gentle. You see the pattern here? Who is God? James 4, James says, you know, here's my promise to you out of, out of what God says to me, what I know about God, what I've experienced about God. Here's my promise to you that if you draw close to God, he will draw close to you. That God actually cares this much. This is what James knew from meeting Jesus. He went, this is who God's character is really like. 
In other words, James is saying to us over and over again, if you read through the whole letter, and you should, you'll see him saying over and over, God is a good, good father. He is a good, good father that you can count on, that you should assume wants to be involved in your life, wants to help you. You need to allow your heart to be convinced of this. And then James writes this in James 5, starting with verse 13. It says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should call a friend and get some help. No, it says, any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. It should be your default. Are any of you happy or is life going fantastic? What should you do? You should sing praises. You should go to God and involve Him in it. Are any of you sick? You should call on the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And here's the kicker. He says, because, this is what I know about God, this is what I've seen about God, this is who Jesus was. He says, because such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. In other words, God will answer your prayers because he is a good, good father who wants to be involved in your life. James is saying when it's hard, go to God. It should be your first response. And then he gets real with people and he says, and when you are sick, when you are sick and you can't get over it, you don't know what to do with it, you should pray. You should go to the elders and you should let them pray over you. Now, I want you to picture first century. In the first century, there are no MRI machines. There are no x-rays. There's no lab work to find out what your blood says. I mean, when they're taking blood work at that part, they're bleeding you to death, right? Like this is the way, this is, this is surgery in the first century. And so... It's, it's not our modern science and whatever curiosity is developed in a, let's say, a more compassionate medical system that we have now. Our, our science has developed more compassionate, like, how do we help you? But that's not, that's not available. And so in the first century, when you get sick and there's no place to go, no MRIs, no blood work, I, you can't figure out what's wrong, people turned to the spiritual realm for help. And when Jesus came, they turned to the spiritual realm, and do you know what they discovered? That Jesus said, there is a good, good father, and not only can he heal you, he will heal you. And they experienced healing after healing after healing until they became more and more convinced, until people who were sick and blind and lame and that there was no sickness beyond the reach of Jesus himself would come running to Jesus, would drag themselves to Jesus, would scream out to Jesus and say, please, will you come and touch me? Will you come and heal me? Because there is nothing impossible for you. Now in our days of antibiotics, can heal infections, we just turn to the doctor. And yet the principle, the principle that James is speaking about still applies to us today. Because even with all of our science, it has its limits, doesn't it? You know someone who's got cancer. You know things in your body that have broken down. You've, you know, like I've gone to the doctor before and for some of my joint ailments and he looked at me and said, I can't fix old. Like, I just, you know, there's nothing I can do about that. It's just old, right? Like, like that's the reality as you grow older. There are, there are limits. And when you hit those limits, 
The question is, will you turn to God? Will you understand that there is nothing that limits Him? Will you allow yourself to encounter the power of God, the life-changing power of God and who He is? Especially when you're sick. Will you bring this giant problem? Will you be the person who helps a person bring this giant problem into God's presence and encounter Him in faith and say, let God shrink this giant problem down to size. It looks big to you, but from God's perspective, it's small. It's something that He does all the time. It's not without beyond His reach. Will you ask God to do what only He can? As James says, that when we pray for one another, when we bring things into God's presence and we encounter Him and we expect to counter Him, such a prayer is powerful. In fact, he's really, I think, thinking back to Matthew 18 when Jesus says, when two or three of you gather, if you will agree together, if you'll gather together and you'll pray together, I will be there in your midst. I'll be present You will encounter my presence and it will heal you. It will change you. It will become real and God will grant it. So the great invitation here is just God's invitation in which he says to each one of us, will you count on me first? Will you call on me first? Will you stop trying to live independent from me and just lean into me? Will you take a risk to trust me as a good, good father? And I think all the time, like, why don't I do that? My guess is you have those issues too, like, right? Try to fix stuff on your own, try to deal with it on your own. Why don't we lean into him more? And I think it's because while we, while we might say, maybe you're not even at this place, where, while some of you might say, I know that he's a good, good father. In your heart, you have doubts. You want you love someone like that. You wonder, would he actually do that for me? I've seen him do it for others, but would he, would he really do that for me? And in leaning in and counting on him and praying and really saying, God, I need you, it feels risky for you because you're like, what if he doesn't answer? What if he doesn't come to my aid? And maybe you're asking the wrong question because maybe the question you should be asking is, what if he does? What if he moves powerfully? What if he answers that prayer? What if that answer, whatever it is, even if it's different than what you wanted, changes you so profoundly and deeply that it changes how you live? What if your faith was strengthened by it? Listen, I'll admit to you that I I grew up and I still am at the heart, I'm a cynic. Like even coming to be a follower of Jesus, I was a cynic about God healing people. I was like, No, 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 no. That doesn't actually happen. That's just like on TV, right? It's all fake. It doesn't really exist. Until the first time that I was on a missions trip and uh, I was with some folks who didn't have any problem with it. And they called me into the circle to like pray for someone. And I was like, whoa, they kind of drug me into it. And we're praying for this person. And I, I actually witnessed this person be healed. And you know that moment where it kind of blows your mind, where you're like, that's not possible, and yet it just happened. And I realized that God was not out of the business of healing people. He had not retired. 
He had not withdrawn. He was very much active for those that would seek him. Now, here's the thing. I still, I still am growing in this. I still at times have doubts, just like you do. I still have, I'm, I've grown in leaning into the Father and believing that he's good, but I still find times where I'm like, are you good to me? Will you be good to me? Is this possible? The other week, I was at a pastor's conference and um, for all the Alliance pastors in the area. And I, one of the things that God's spoken in my life this year has been hope. Just gave me this one word, like, Sean, I want to teach you how to truly have hope. That it goes beyond, like, when you're involved in something, you're like, ah, it's not going the way you want. I want you to have hope. I want you to, like, I want that to be the lens through which you look through. The way I see hope for any situation in your life that I can be there and I can transform it. That's not natural for me. So anyway, I'm, I'm at this pastor's conference, and I'm praying through this, and I've been, I've been walking through this for a little while, and this older gal gets up, and uh, she's about to introduce the speaker. And um, she, just, she is the sweetest, older black lady that I've ever met. And she just she comes off when, I, when, I, when she gets up. I'm just like, she begins to speak, and I'm like, the words that come to my mind are spiritual mother, right? Like, this is someone I just want to sit and listen to. In fact, I was just like, can we just not have the next person speak? Let's just have her speak. So she's getting up to talk about this, just to set up this, introduce this guy about prayer. And this is what she says. She says, you know, we come and we, we come into God's presence and sometimes we don't have an expectation that God is going to move, that God could actually move. And she says, and I want to tell you something. There can be no manifestation of God without expectation of God. And it just melted me. Because I realized so many times, like, come into God's presence without expectation. Like, God, I need to expect that you will work, that you are a good father, that I need to let my heart be convinced of this. We need to come and expect God to act on our behalf. Now, let me say something about faith, because this has been a long, long struggle that I've got. God has put people in my lives, life over and over that have taught me a lot about this. When it comes to faith, I, from the first time I saw someone healed, I thought, well, like, how do I, how do I get to that kind? God, how do I understand that kind of faith? And for a while, I was like, is this quantitative? Like, is this just something I can muster up? Is this something that, like, if I, it's like, you know, if, as if it was like a magic trick. If I say the right things, do the right things, feel the right things, can I have that kind of faith? And along my journey, what I realized is. Faith is not a magic trick. It's not something I can muster up. It's simply taking God at his word. Simply saying, this is what God said is true. This is what the followers of Jesus said. This is what God said to me. This is what Jesus said. This is what's true. It's like we come to God like a child. This is what Jesus said, right? Like, I want you to have the faith of a child. Why? Because if you're a parent, you know when your kids were young, right, they, would, they believed you could do anything. Like, if they went to a water slide park, you left the water slide park on the way home. They're like, Dad, could you build a water slide park in our backyard? Like as if, as if you know, yeah, yeah, you probably only want to ride it one time, but yeah, right? Like, like they believed you could do anything. And God says, approach me in the same way because I actually can. I actually can. There is nothing beyond me. Do you believe and trust that? Do you know that that's possible? What's your default? when you go through something hard? 
when someone comes to you and they're going through something hard, what's your default? When I was early, when I was dating Susie, um, my wife, just in case some of you didn't know that my wife was Susie, I'm telling a story about my wife so I don't get in trouble with my wife. So, um, so we're, we're dating, and uh, she came to my house, and I lived in Perry County, and she lived in York. And so um, she came to my house, and she was driving a car, and um, it, it was overheating. Like, by the time she got there, it was overheating. It was hot. It was, like, way too hot. And so we, I came out. She actually got lost because I, mean, I live in Perry County, and it's hard to find anything in Perry County if you're not from Perry County. And so, so I came out to meet her by the highway, and I'm looking at things. I'm like, well, let's just sit here and wait for a while. And she's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, it was, by that time, it was, like, 7 o'clock at night. There's no garages open. There's no place to take it. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got to. I got to go home. I, you know, what, how am I going to get the car home? And I said, without hesitation, that's what I said. I said, listen, we just need to get it to my house because my dad will help. Because I have no doubt that my dad will put down what he's doing and he'll come and he'll help me figure this out. That's God's invitation to you to have that kind of confidence about whatever it is going on in your life, to have that kind of confidence, to have that kind of confidence for whomever comes to you and has something that they're like, I don't know what to do, to come into God's presence with confidence and I know who to go to, and I know he'll help. Because sometimes that's exactly what someone who is in the middle of it needs. They need your faith to come and bring them into the Father's presence. So... I want to give you a change to just change your default this morning. We're just going to stop for a minute, and um, I'm going to pray. Not, and there's a, on your, in your program guide on the response card inside, you'll see a little green sticky like this, a little green heart sticky. So I want you to pull that out during this next song. As we sing about God being a good, good father, as we come into the presence and say, God, let my heart be convinced that you are good, my guess is that there has been opportunities in your life even this week someone that expressed a need someone said this is what i'm going through maybe it's one of your kids maybe it's your parents maybe it's a friend someone that you might maybe you even said i'll pray for you but you didn't in the moment and you know that like as you're thinking about this you're like man i i want to bring them before god i want my heart to be convinced this morning so convinced that i can go pray for them and that maybe you even need to pray for them this morning maybe they're here this morning and during the song you want to go pray for them my challenge for you is just to get their name down right now. Say, this is the person this week, maybe even today, that I need to go and say, I'm sorry I didn't bring you into the Father's presence then, but I want to bring you into the Father's presence now. I want to let you know that my dad can help, that he is good, and he wants to help. That you heard, I heard that need, and instead of giving you advice, I give you something better. I give you God himself. Let's go encounter God and ask him. So I'm just going to take this minute to pray. And then I'm going to give you a few minutes in this next song to worship and to say, who is that? What, God, what, what do you want me to do to pray? Because it is one of the greatest gifts. I just heard a couple stories this morning about people who said, hey, I just want to let you know that this happened. And someone prayed for me in that moment. And it changed everything for me. So I knew I was loved. I knew that God cared again. I knew that I wasn't alone. The problem shrunk down to the size that God sees it as for me, and now I can live, and I have life again. God wants you to do that through you. So let's pray, and then I want you to have an opportunity to respond in this moment.
Lord Jesus, you prove to us that we have a good, good father. You said to us that we don't have a father who, when we ask for bread, will give us a rock. We have a father that loves us and cares about us. And when we ask, he wants to give something to us. That If we ask, he will provide it for us. He knows us. Father, you know us. You know every part of our lives. We cry out to you. You hear our hearts. So, Lord, you still love us no matter where we are, no matter what's going on. God, you love us and you're good. You love us perfectly. So, God, I pray that you'd help us to love others perfectly, to be convinced that you are such a good, good Father that we will bring people into your presence. Will you bring to us now a name? Someone in our lives that we need to offer prayer to, that we need to bring into your presence, that we need to allow our faith to build their faith, to change their situations, to experience their miracle, God. Will you do that in us this morning? In Jesus' name.
desperately need you. So many places in our heart and our life, we are in need of your help and your assistance. We are in need of you coming into our lives. And we need each other. So God, inspire us to express love in the way that might be the most meaningful way to bring someone into the Father's presence when they might have doubts, when they might not know, when their problem might be so big and they don't know what to do, to bring them into your presence with confidence to say, your Father is good. To say, God, I know that you're good and I know that you want to help this person. I know what you want to do here. To listen to your voice. To see the miracles that you want to do. Help us to be a people who love one another by praying as our default for one another. In Jesus' name. This morning, um, you know, I want to want you to set your default to prayer, and we're actually going to just in a five or ten minutes here. I'm going to give you an opportunity to actually do that this morning to be prayed for. That maybe you brought something with you this morning, and you're like, "This is so unsettled to me, and I need someone to pray over me." And this is the moment where God wants me to be prayed over. There's an issue in your life. There's a relationship in your life, and you know it's been bugging you, and it's. It's, been, it's bigger than you, and you don't know what to do with it. And this morning, we're going to give you an opportunity in just a few minutes to bring that and to see what God wants to do, to experience the miracle that God wants to do. And we'll have people up here to pray with you. But I want to talk to you about something first that for you to do that. And see, I've watched us do this in the past as a followers of Jesus, and sometimes I, I watch how we resist. Like, hey, you know, come forward and get prayer. And and I see the resistance, and I feel the resistance for myself sometimes. I'm like, I, I, I still remember the first time God, like, really had me surrender to him. And I, it took, like, five. It was in a little church that you sang, like, 15 verses of a hymn. Like, somebody's coming forward. We're going to just keep singing until somebody comes forward. But I needed that because I was resisting God. I was like, no, no, God, whatever you want to do, I'll do right here. And he was like, no, 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 you need to come forward, and you need to be ministered to. You need to meet me here on your knees. You need to meet me in this moment. So I want to talk to you about this thing that's 
the second default that is such an important part, and James includes it in here because if we're to come and be honest and minister to each other, to love one another and to experience the life-changing power and grace of a good, good father, then we need to understand that we need to choose to be vulnerable with each other. We need to choose to be vulnerable with God. That James is saying, like, if you want to really experience life change, then you've got to open up your heart and be ready for it. You need to be vulnerable about those places in your life. The encouragement that James says, pray for one another, James also says, not only should you pray for one another, but if you're the person with the thing in your life that you're like, oh, it is not the other person's responsibility to know it, to read your mind, to drag you forward. It is your responsibility to say, I want it. And I'm willing to be vulnerable to get it. It is your responsibility to make known that need to someone else so that they can minister to you, so that they can bring you into the Father's presence. When you have a, something significant going on in your life, James is saying, bring it into God's presence. Allow others to bring it into God's presence. Pray for one another. You need to make that known in prayer. And particularly, you know, when it comes to sickness, that's what God says, Look, make it known. You know what that makes the biggest difference, though, in prayer of faith? If we're going to bring something to God's presence, if you've got to pray a sincere faith, it's sincerely before God, and you know this, that the biggest difference between a prayer that is sincere and, and is brought before God and you see answers to and a prayer that's not is one that comes from a deep desire in your heart to encounter God. A deep desire to experience God's presence in such a way that you're saying, I don't care what gets found out. I don't care what's, what's underneath here. I don't care what people think of me. I only care in this moment that God meets me, that God changes me, that I experience him and that he's real. And what James is saying is then you need to be open to that. See, your heart is made with a handle on the inside and none on the outside. You are the only one who can push open that door. James is saying it is your responsibility to go and to, be, to know that you have a good, good father and to push open the door, to creak it open a little bit and to let the light in. To admit that you have a deep need in faith. To choose to say, I'm not going to handle this on my own. It's to choose to be vulnerable. It's to choose to be real. One of the things my wife says all the time is, um, she says to be, be vulnerable with God and he'll be vulnerable with you. It's her way of re-quoting James 4.8. Draw close to God, and he'll draw close to you, but in a way that's really understandable that you can grasp. Be vulnerable with God, and he will be vulnerable with you. He will open up his heart and his love and his power in your life if you'll be open to him. If you'll open up your heart and be real and be honest, he'll change you. And that's why I want to give you this opportunity today change your default, to choose vulnerability first over self-protection, to choose vulnerability over self-rejection. If no, someone finds it out to me, it'll just prove that what I thought was true is true. I can't confess that. Let me tell you, we have all got those things going on. God wants to change it. He wants you to come and to be honest, to be open, to let yourself be changed. And if you want to be prepared for that, James says, then you've got to be vulnerable. This is what he says specifically in James Second half of verse 14 and forward, he says, And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. In other words, James is saying, Sometimes your resistance 
is that you think, God can't possibly do anything with me because you don't know what else I've got going on in my life. He won't answer me. I'm not good enough. You don't know where I've failed. He won't really love me and just say, no, listen, if, if your resistance is because you think you're a sinner, well, congratulations. It's a, good, it's a good realization. And it doesn't matter to God. He already knew it. He says, if you think that, if you think that what you have can't be forgiven, he says, I have news for you. It was something that you might not realize. That God wants to forgive your sin more than you want to confess it. He wants to set you free. He wants you to live the life that He has for you, but He says you've got to open up your heart and just be honest with Him. Just be honest about where you are and what's going on. And I will come in and change your life. I will change you. He says, if you commit any sins, you'll be forgiven. So confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Now you think like, oh, I don't want to tell everybody else about what's going on in my life. Maybe you even feel like, I don't even know if I have those kind of relationships in my life. I got to tell you, like some of the best relationships I have in my life are the honest ones. All the places in my life where I can be honest. Someone like... I was at an event last night and someone told me, you know, one of the things I love about Daybreak is you as pastors are honest. I said, that's because we're just like you, just trying to follow Jesus. And what we really believe is without honesty and vulnerability, there can be no change. That's why we're honest. It's just this morning, um, I came in, and I, early this morning, I was up late watching that Penn State game last night. I had a long week. I was at an event yesterday. I had to work on a message truth is I just came in exhausted. So I walk in and I walk past the tech booth. And, um, because, because our technicians are known as very sensitive people. Now they all, they all kind of called me out on it a little bit. And then I went into my office. I did some stuff in here. I went into my office and then one of them came over to my office and said, can I talk to you for a second? I said, sure. I was waiting for them to say, hey, here's this thing in my life that I need. You know what they said? How are you? What's going on this morning? Now let me pray for you. What's going on in your life? Are you okay? And in that moment, the breakthrough for me was just to confess. I'm a little discouraged this morning. I'm a little tired this morning. My heart is heavy this morning. So I want people to be free. I want people to know the power of God in their life, but I'm tired. And in that moment, what God said to me was, you see, Sean, I always care about you. But I got to confess that this morning someone. And do you know what happened when I confessed it and I admitted that it was true? I agreed with God and God set me free. Something happened new in my heart. The, the thing that the, the well that wanted to flow was uncapped and released. And that's true for you too. Confession is about being vulnerable. It's why James stresses it. And I see it all the time in the groups that I'm in here at Daybreak. Out a divorce care session the night, and I watched those people were honest, and God did miracles in their hearts because they just said, I'm, I want God more than I want to hold back anymore. I see it, and I, I run a formational spiritual formation group, and I see it all the time in that group of like, we confess things in that group to each other that we won't tell another single soul, but it is safe there because we said, We're all going to be on this journey together, and we have committed that we want God and we want His life change in our lives more than we want anything else. And you know what happens when you confess and you realize that you're not judged and that someone just points to Jesus? 
it convinces your heart again that God feels the same way about you. It sets you free and sets a spirit free to work in you and change you. And so this morning, I want to let you know that God wants to do the same thing in your life. He wants to open you up. He wants to let you know, if you'll be vulnerable with me, I will transform whatever it is that you're going through. I will change you. And so I'll, I know that that takes a little convincing. So we're going to stop now. We're just going to watch a story. A story of a family who uh, said, they got to the end of themselves and they said, I, we can't do this on our own. This is bigger than us. We have something going on in our lives that only God can fix it. Only God can deal with it. And so we're going to have to admit that we need his help. And they came and they admitted it and they, they said in confession of God, we, we know we're not perfect, but we need you. And then God did something miraculous. And this is their story. God called our family to adopt our youngest son when he was only two years old. Josiah suffers from a congenital disorder that causes his vascular system to be malformed in his abdomen and his left leg. While challenging, Josiah is fearfully and wonderfully made, and he completes our family. When Josiah was five this last fall, uh, we had to travel to Boston to have surgery. His condition is so rare that uh, sometimes we have to travel a distance to, to find specialists that are familiar with him. Unfortunately, after the surgery, he had some bleeding, and that bleeding um, kind of persisted for quite a while. Uh, we went back to different specialists to try to determine what could be done about it, um, but there was no fix. Um, his bleeding was kind of like a leaky faucet and they worried that surgery to try to fix it might actually make it worse. His bleeding was so bad that he ended up becoming severely anemic. His blood was so low he had to be hospitalized uh, for blood transfusion over the winter. We were struggling with what seemed like our new normal and were trying not to worry about the future. But as summer approached, we began to worry about Josiah attending school. He could not attend kindergarten in, in this condition. We were barely even making it to church. We were managing, and Josiah had a great attitude through the whole thing. But we were getting kind of frustrated. Watching your child suffer while you're powerless to do anything about it is very hopeless. As a dad, there is nothing I wouldn't do for my kids. But when there's nothing you can do, that's hard. Earlier this summer, uh, Josiah decided that he wanted to follow Jesus. And we'd been talking a lot about it, so it wasn't a decision that he took lightly or we let him take lightly. When he accepted salvation that night, his bleeding stopped just stopped. It was as if, we joke as if the, the Holy Spirit kind of showed up and moved in and said, hey, you've got a leak over there. I can fix that. Unfortunately, a few weeks later, Josiah got sick and he began to experience complications related to his disorder. One of the complications was a new type of bleeding. This bleeding was worse though, and it was different. It wasn't the same and it was hard to control and was scary. 
Day by day, we saw our summer slip past while Josiah was stuck on the couch trying to limit his activity so we could control the bleeding. Josiah desperately wanted to swim and play with the other kids, but he simply couldn't. Jen and I would take turns checking on him every hour overnight so we could try and catch and control new bleeding. I could feel myself sinking back into hopelessness. I was feeling anxious and worn. I couldn't understand why God would heal Josiah after eight months of bleeding, only to have it replaced with even worse bleeding. I had been spending some time reading James in my quiet time, and when I got to James 5.14, it kind of just hit me. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. I couldn't shake this verse. I felt as though God was asking me to be obedient to Him. So on a Sunday in August, I um, asked Carl Hollander if he and the elders ever prayed over anybody that was sick at church, and if they'd be willing to do that. And he jumped at the chance. He arranged it so that um, Susie and Sean and Carl and Linnea and Mark Shuey could come over and pray over Josiah, and it was powerful. God really showed up that night. We even had communion on our living room floor. In the days that followed, Josiah's bleeding stopped. And we were all just left amazed. I had been so hopeless. And to see God heal Josiah again, a second time. I never doubted that God could heal. I'm just, I'm just in awe that he would. And that he loves us so much and loves Josiah so much. That he, he would do that for us and our family. Josiah was thrilled to be able to play outside and eventually was able to even go swimming. He's since been able to even start kindergarten and the bleeding has not returned. Only God could provide this healing and experiencing this miracle firsthand reminds me that God is real. I'm sure that this is not the end of the challenges we will face, but I'm also sure of God's love and I take comfort in knowing that I don't have to be in control. God was taking care of Josiah long before I was long before I was Josiah's dad, and he has proven that he is a good, good father. What if you change your default to prayer this morning? How many miracles have you missed because you tried to solve them without God? How many answers have you missed because God wanted to be involved? God desperately wants to be involved in your life. Now, I know that you're sitting there this morning and there is stuff going on in your heart. There's stuff going on in your life and you need a good, good father to intervene. So this morning, I'm just going to ask you the next three songs the worship team sings. I'm just going to ask you to come. You have all the rest of the worship service to come. There'll be prayer partners sitting up here in the front row. You'll come up and sit. 
they'll join you and they'll, they'll be glad to pray with you. There will be elders up here if you need physical healing. They will come and they will anoint you and pray a prayer of faith. And listen, God does what He wants when He wants. We just come as children and ask, God, I know that you can. And so I am vulnerably saying, will you this morning meet me and encounter me and change me and transform the situation in my life? So during the next set of songs, I'm just going to stop. I'm going to pray. I'm going to let you come forward. But I just want to let you know that God wants to do something big. Just like he's done in my life and he's done in Josiah's life, he wants to do something tremendous in your life today. But you're going to have to choose the vulnerability. You're going to have to choose to say, I'll I'll come. I'll encounter God today and I'll let him change me. And if you do, you will be transformed. Let's stop and let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, this morning... I pray that you would give us courage to be vulnerable with you, to be vulnerable with others, to say, God, here's where I am. Here's what I need to confess. Here's where I need to be vulnerable. Here's my problem, and I don't know what to do about it. Will you pray for me? God, will you convince our hearts again that it is your deepest desire to be involved in our life? Will you remind us what what James told us many thousands of years ago in James 4.2, that we have not because we ask not. So God, this morning, let us come and ask. And then watch as you do something miraculous in our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name.